3: You're listening to the podcast, the nature and countryside podcast from BBC Country Farm magazine. My name's Fergus Collins, and I've got the lucky job of being the host of the podcast. Particularly lucky with this episode, where last autumn I headed out into the Mendip Hills to meet historian and writer Amy Jeffs. It was a dark and foggy night, and we descended into Goat Church Cavern in the company of caver Daniel Matthews from the Mendip Caving Group where Amy was able to talk about her new book, Wild, Tales from Early Medieval Britain. It's absolutely magic. Well, this is the night for myths and legends, isn't it?
0: certainly is. Yeah, the mist is really wrapping around us. It's an it's yeah. environment for stories.
3: Breath is coming out. Like just, well, courting the, in, the, in the headlights of our helmet torches.
0: Mm-hmm. It's
3: kind of crazy. And it's
0: we've got, got this lovely rainforesty feeling with the ferns yeah. dripping over the water and the vines hanging from the trees
3: what's happening here dan
4: uh just uh, this is where the stream enters into the cave from the surface uh, but it doesn't actually go into goat church it just goes into pierre's pot which is a cave that's just over there there is a small stream inside goat church but Um, So we're going to head up the path to
3: the left. (laughs) So on a dark, dark night we are wandering up this hillside. (laughs) And I've got wet feet already, these expensive shoes which let water in. (laughs) So this is, we've come to the members to talk well we're going to talk about underground we're going to talk about your book we're going to talk about all sorts of things but it seems from a couple of the chapters of your book the underground is a very important part of the myths and legends of-
0: <laughs> it is well the um the book is, um, is structured across seven themed chapters entitled earth ocean forest Beast, Fen, Catastrophe, Paradise. And Paradise, um, the, for each chapter, there's a, a, re, a, a short story, an original short story inspired by the medieval sources, and uh, followed by a commentary, a non fiction commentary, where I do a bit of travelling. Paradise is in the Avalon Marshes, where we met last time. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and for Earth, the first chapter is is here underground.
3: We've arrived at the sort of Stony mouth of a cave.
0: It's lovely, isn't it? It's like and, uh, a, it looks like rough puff pastry. The, <laughs> yeah, the right. stones. Hanged. This isn't the cave we're going
4: in. This is. This is not okay. No, okay, this, this is Sidcot Swallet. It's, uh, one of the other caves. S- what's
3: and it called? Sidcot Swallet. Sidcot Swallet. Yeah. And this this is this is a cave, but we're not going in this one. Really? No, this one's okay. quite squeezy.
4: Squeezy.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I'm uh, <laughs> squeezy caves. <laughs> Right. Not not my top ten list of bucket list. Yeah. Are we still going up? Yeah, yeah, we're still going up. up. We not Which
0: going way? Follow way? you? Okay, back
3: down. Oh, okay. Right.
4: I was I was just demonstrating, just <laughs> showing them a the
3: ticket. Showing off your caves. Yeah. <laughs> is this a is this a stream in summer? I bet it's dry in summer, is it? Yeah.
4: No, it's still running
3: in summer. Yeah? It's a okay. natural spring coming from oh, the top
4: up there.
3: Straight off the top of the Mendix? Yeah. yeah. So is this our cave? No. No? This
4: is the lower part of the cave. You (laughs) tease! No, this is is the cave, but this is the lower part of the cave. Okay. So this is what's known as the tradesman's entrance.
3: (laughs) Right, okay. Um, It doesn't look very inviting in terms of... It's the way out. Okay.
4: um, The only thing I haven't done is I haven't put a rope in. Normally I put a rope in, but I'm trusting you guys are...
0: We did it before, didn't we, without a rope. I'm sure
4: you'll be okay at climbing it. It's not difficult. I can spot you all the way up. Okay,
3: so we're at the, yeah, we're yeah, at the yeah, mouth man. of the cave.
0: Here we go. Down
3: Sorry. into the cave. Now this is conquering your fears. But
0: <laughs> <laughs> First person to spot a bat is the
1: winner. Oh, I can't
0: wait to be
4: the winner. Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> oh the loser, God forbid. Oh, got go
3: so what is the sort of oh, sparkling oh. encrusted stuff? Oh, well, saucy Calcite. Okay. That's sort of just a e- that. oozing it out of the rock. Yeah, yeah. That's a crystalline oh. substance. It looks yeah. salty. <laughs> Big oh, spiders. We're <laughs> so descending this passage oh. into the earth.
0: It looks like doesn't this cave look like one what of those on Christmas that? cards you get, which is um got you know lots of layers, like a like a telescopic. Um, Can you look at those sort of circles okay. of? of kind of the foreground, middle-ground, background, just going back, 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 going darker yeah, and darker. Yeah, yeah. It looks like it could be like a concertina Christmas thing.
3: <laughs> yes, it does go on quite a way. There's a little bat just hanging under a, an overhang. I think it's easier when you're just going on your bum. At this point. Yeah, probably is. Well, I will show you to no more. So we've also yeah. got along with us today, Alex. Hello. Stella. Hello. Hi. You're doing all right back there? Come along with Amy, um, fellow artists. I don't know why they've come down this deep, dark cave, but they seem to be enjoying it more than I am. As I struggle down a steep, slippery slope. There's another bat up there. So you're, you're, kind of, you're kind of chief bat spotter.
0: They look like little mollusks, don't they? They look like kind of bivalves even, not mollusks. Where their wings kind of part and you see a little bit of their faces like oh, nice. like a muscle at the beach.
2: Oh, yeah. I see it,
3: yeah, yeah. I think they look like figs. Figs? Yeah, figs. yeah figs. you're right. Earth figs. Earth figs. <laughs> Amazing formations on the ground above us. It
0: looks like what modern wax, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, um, yeah
3: sort of grooved. Dripping down, but that's what it has been doing, just a bit slower.
0: Yeah, I think it's called flowstone. Is that right, Dan? Yeah, flowstone. Are we sliding down this bit now?
1: We can do it. Is this the right yeah. way, Dan? How do we
4: get
0: um? From side. From side. Yeah. yeah. So
4: we can't go any further down. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> it's
2: it was uh, a test slide that one. Yeah. So make,
4: make sure you're happy with what you're about to do. <laughs> Is there an even steeper one coming? But then there. Oh my Are you
0: God! Feet spread. Like, like widen your feet and you stop yourself. Oh, okay, big heels in. Down. Yeah.
3: yeah. Okay, so this is like a vertical drop, no, which is fine, <laughs> apart from holding. I so I think
0: I think in the book we're yeah. talking about at this point um, about the idea, the medieval idea that the earth or the firmament is in some way a a reflection reflected by the human body that man is microcosm that everything that the earth has the human body has in some form um and when Bede describes the underground or or stone in his text on the nature of things he says that the earth has sponge-like innards and he talks about the veins of the earth and when when i was recalling this moment in visiting the cave it um it was particularly this slide. Now I really felt like one of like a like a lumen of food going down <laughs> someone's <laughs> down throat. The yes, exactly. The
3: of the earth. I didn't know bees was a climber. Oh,
0: yeah, no, bead was spelunking with the best of them. Really? Gosh, I don't know. I, I we, really, uh, we, we could be... I don't know if you really yeah. need to cut open a, a heart, if anyone's done that at school or with for a... The or with a yeah. For the for
3: a for a student, mm-hmm. which is quite an exciting yeah.
0: I mean, I feel like that's... When you've got those kind of folds and the kind of... A, the texture of the ventricles, yeah. That's I feel like that's, a, that's something you can see here. I mean, I'm taking the medieval um, analogy too far, obviously just for fun, but... Um,
3: well you we have been swallowed.
4: Be
0: we, we are have being swallowed
4: by really the uh, If you could yeah. just stop for us and uh, yeah. Yeah. send the next person down,
3: just spot them so they don't go too far, that's all. <laughs> How far down does it go? Does it just spiral until you get hotter
4: all and hotter? All the way and to Tartarus, yeah. 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 where
0: there is weeping and gnashing of teeth.
3: So
4: it's like a set of
0: set. <laughs> yeah, it's a club. i <laughs> <laughs> yeah. never been, it's okay, so much one. fun. down, slide down, put your feet out front
3: and everyone spread their bodies out at the bottom as a mattress. <laughs>
0: yeah,
3: good idea. You've done some pretty uh, extreme things for your book, haven't you? Oh, you oh yeah,
0: on? it's all an excuse. <laughs> 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 Is it, I feel like you take the experiences you want to have and you think, how, how can one put a book around this? No, no,
1: that's, that's the podcast no. too.
3: <laughs> So you're just in wellies? Yeah.
4: Classic caving gear. Yeah, Wellies, the best caving footwear you can get. Yeah, I think they're better than walking boots as well. Oh, okay. oh Definitely. I, I took a friend caving the other week and I said to her, wear some wellies. And she was like, no, no, i wear walking boots. And I was like, I guarantee you they're not going to be grippy. And she was complaining
3: for the trip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, there we go. An advert for wellies there from
4: town. Yeah, but
3: she learned, learned to wear wellies on the next one. Well, this podcast is sponsored by all wellie manufacturers. So I'm, lip, I'm sliding sometime in the night on a late November evening down a very slippery shaft. Which is. <laughs> there are um, angelic voices from the dead. Oh, This is quite a drop here. Going to get a bit of a weird sound here. Yeah, just about bent around that corner. Just an extraordinary adventure. So most people think the of these dark places are sonorous, serious and, and melancholic. But no, we've found three, who
0: Three silly twerps. <laughs>
3: That's the local name for spirits. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're going well, through... This is lovely. There's a dead mouse there, is, is it? it?
0: Yeah. Oh, lovely. You can really... Uh, this bit feels so sculpted, doesn't it, by the water. You can always see it eddying and, and swirling yeah, down this.
3: Yeah, oh my it. gosh. There's only in it. it's down. a... I think it's a
0: dead bowl, actually. My, Ooh. Oh. oh that's very nice. <laughs>
3: A bowl in a
0: bowl. How
3: are you doing, Fergus? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. great. Yeah. yeah. That sound oh, is my helmet
4: oh my hitting the knees stone.
2: Knees.
3: So now we're kind of yeah. on all. You're not we're sort of ending our way along a wall. It's like a. Yeah. It's like it, the, the corridor is at an angle, so we have to. Roll. Oh, I okay, hang at the wall. Sorry. Do we go up, Dan? Uh, yeah.
0: Yes.
4: Head towards the air. <laughs> oh, wait, does the right go anywhere? Yes, it does. We'll wait for that, being a
0: bit right. Right. <laughs> so Here we've got some flow that really looks like a chocolate fountain. It, it does, yeah, it? yeah, the water it's dripping crazy.
3: off it looks sort of. And
0: occasionally you get these lovely sort of passages up here, there's one just opening up to our left.
3: Do people squeeze down there, Dan? Yeah, so you
4: can squeeze into that bus. That part's what we call the maze. Oh, the, no, the maze. The maze. Oh. The maze because so there's lots of squeezy bits that you can go and squeeze through, and oh really? Um, the rest of the way is on down there. Oh here it is. Just flew out. Huge oh. bat. Here it is. Oh. Oh, wow! Oh my goodness.
0: Guys, there's a bat. Oh I see. Settled. It's landed. on oh, the... stick. No, no. it's over here. It's over here. It's
3: it's bad here. Bad it
0: sounds like he's here. It sounds
4: like the bat action. It yeah. yeah, should be hibernating, oh. but then again, saying that it is.
3: It has been warm too oh, okay. late, so it's probably just starting to vibrate laid now. Yeah. Uh, do
4: you know what species these are down here? Lesser horseshoes.
3: Lesser horseshoes. So the small ones, that's the same size as the ones oh. we just... They're all lesser horseshoes, are they? So they look a lot bigger in flight than... Um, yeah. Okay. What do you call
1: that thing where the caterpillar turns into them off? What Metamorphosis. Chrysalis?
3: Um, yeah, that's I'm the one.
1: There's one here. A chrysalis? What, yeah. One, we're back no, there's a chrysalis. There's
3: oh. No, the classic the thing one is, one in, one in, one in the horror one movies one. is the prod it, and then the, the <laughs> don't prod <What> <laughs> well, it. What happens? Well, you get goo on your finger, then it, it devours you.
4: Right, so where you're heading at the moment is going to take you out of the exit that we were stood at. Uh, okay, feel what? the
3: cool air uh, rushing yeah. down. That's an amazing formation there, just like a sort of... Yeah. Is, that, is that a stalactite that's come down, or is it just water has so eroded it, that?
4: Eventually, it is a stalactite, so eventually so the, the, the bottom moss. and top have met. Yeah. So it would have started off as a mite and a stalactite, and then it's just grown over time and joined together, and it creates yeah. that formation.
3: The swish of the oversuit is one of the... It would be a memorable podcast sound.
0: The swish of the...
3: The oversuit. Yeah. Yes. I'm glad I put one on. Look at this. I was half thinking I wouldn't.
0: I just love how it's so micro the warmth. It's, it's, it's sort good. of
3: strangely warm here. Mm-hmm. It's so cold and miserable outside today. Mm-hmm. I got lost in the fog trying to find it. up on the mendips. Fog on the mendips. And yet... Down here, yes. the climate probably stays the same all the time.
0: The thing I love about having a head torch is the way that the light kind of comes and goes and the, you can't see the whole cave at
3: once. I'm glad because I'm benefited from yours as well, which mm-hmm. is quite kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Would you sing a song? Do you like? Oh, no. <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, a song would be lovely yeah. if you're
0: Yes, I mean now.
3: What will you sing?
0: So the, the audio book is, um, is illustrated with folk songs. Um, I wrote them with my old uh, university friend, Robbie, who's a, who's a brilliant musician. He uh, arranged them. I wrote six, he wrote one, but he did all the arrangements. The, chapter, the, the song for chapter three is all about the forest and about madness, and it tells the story of a, of a man with leprosy. Who has um, he's received a prophecy that he is going to die by the hand of the wind by being pushed off a cliff into a waterfall, and then he will go to heaven. And uh, but he's as he's standing there on the cliff edge, he's remembering some time uh, in the forest when a a a wandering man called Sweeney um, landed in one of the trees, and they spent a year a year together. This is in. Are they already done? Yeah, that's what Amy went um, they've, they've spent... Um, it's, it's based on an Irish legend called The Gwila Svíveni, the, the Madness of Sweeney, and a Welsh poem called The Clav Abbekeag, The Leper of, of Abbekeag. Um, Did you blend those so two together? I blended them together for the short story. Um, and uh, I could try doing the the Earth song. Shall we see how it sounds? Yeah, here
5: we go. Under an oak tree I sit among the dead, here where the light is limited. For a thousand years he imprisoned me, only in the dark. Oh
3: Which uh, I'm glad to have heard that. Thank you. That was so beautiful. Thank you. But it really goes with the. So when I read Amy's book, I when I read your book, uh, as I said, I, I I read the whole thing really quickly, but the first chapter. Uh, could you t- could, maybe you should describe what goes on in the first chapter because mm-hmm. it's one. Of the, it's just a kind of heartbreaking sort of, but deep. From, from from the deep time. Anyway, I'd like to hear. Your, your
0: um, thank you. So, Earth. Uh, the purpose of each chapter is to is to transport the reader into uh, my interpretation of an old idea of the wilderness. So, the, the this is rooted in um, in real life uh, surviving texts and artifacts uh, that I've sort of um, used as a prompt for a short story. Um, and then the commentary that follows the short story then introduces the reader to those sources and hopefully a more, uh, an opportunity for them to, to spin their own imaginative journeys. Um, the Earth chapter takes as its primary source a, um, a poem from the Exeter book. The Exeter book is a manuscript from about 970 uh, that arrived at Exeter Cathedral in 1072 and has been there ever since. And it's one of four big compendia of old English poetry. Um, and is an incredible insight into the emotional subtlety and sense of humour of our Old English speaking forebears. It's got some 95 Old English riddles in it, some of which are, are very rude and obscene um, but in among the riddles
3: if that's ok yeah or you can have one now <laughs> yeah, on. so
0: one is uh, one that I will paraphrase but it, it says um, you know, I, I stand up straight in a bed and I'm hairy at my base and uh, I, I make my lady's eyes water um, which <laughs> is believed to be an onion is the, uh, is the solution uh, there in keeping great. with the yeah, kind yeah. of uh, uh, you know double entendre of some of the other riddles um, in and amongst the riddles, there is a. Uh, um, uh, I mean, there's actually some some really much more kind of uh, dark ones. I think one of one of the riddles describes a a Welsh slave girl using a uh, um, a leather implement for something, and it sort of describes the leather implement being swept up into the darkness, and it describes her in very pejorative terms, and uh, and you get an insight into the the kind of um, how the, the plight of women in, in the early medieval period, and especially uh, perhaps foreign, foreign slaves, um, as they were seen from, a, from an English perspective, and how they were sort of scorned um, and perhaps objectified as well, definitely objectified. Uh, so anyway, there are these, these uh, riddles, and in and among them are a selection of poems known as the Old English Elegies that uh, have as they share in common an interest in themes like the transience of life and love and exile and quite often you have this, this a sort of single narrator at the centre, very little description of contemporary technology which makes them very timeless, you've just got this kind of mind and, and a description of the wilderness so it might be... That's the thing
3: so, of the essence of the book is it's, yeah. it's the, it's the wild through the eyes of the, these people.
0: Yes, so they're, they're, they're really yeah, the pole star, these, these elegies. Yeah. Um, so one is narrated uh, by a man spinning out on the frozen ocean in a boat. Uh, another, uh, the wife's lament, is is what I focus on for the uh, for the earth chapter and she's enclosed in an earthen dugout under an oak tree and she says she's been told to wait there by her lord but she doesn't know where he's gone and why he's left her and why he won't come back she says all her friends are dead um and she says uh, that she you know she says ancient is this earth hall i am all longing and she's this kind of archetype for for yearning for sorrow for longing um and as the poem progresses her her lament sort of transmutes into a curse and she she imagines him out on the frozen ocean alone which is actually quite an interesting sort of uh, way in which the, the these poems seem to speak to each other um some scholars have suggested that the poems the elegies are riddles too and that they've got some kind of solutions that we haven't yet worked out um, I personally like the fact that we don't know, and maybe the mystery is is the heart of their aesthetic power. But this uh, this poem was interpreted by a scholar called Sarah Semple as to, uh, maybe have been narrated by a woman trapped in a prehistoric barrow, so perhaps buried there, um, and it's her soul speaking, um, and that's kind of what I I take for the for the story. Um, and, uh, But I also, I mean, each chapter has has the kind of um, literary side to it. But I also want to talk about how each aspect of the wilderness was understood in more literal terms, or geographically. Um, and so, for the Earth chapter, we while well, we spend quite a lot of time in and around prehistoric barrows and and their use as execution cemeteries in the later in the later Anglo-Saxon period. Um, we also go to what, Monk Weymouth Jarrow in the age of the Venerable Bede and uh, we follow him to a book chest in the, in the monastery where he brings out a copy of a book, um, his, own, his own text on the nature of things and describes exactly what the earth is.
3: Well, just to bring you back to when you said execution cemeteries, mm-hmm. so uh, the barons, which I'm very uh, kind of, they're the, the, these obviously haunting burial mounds in the landscape. Mm-hmm. They were ancient to the people who wrote these poems. They're already ancient. Yes. So for us, they're super ancient. But what what's the execution element of? Because that's that happens mm. in, this, in your story, and it's it's this heartbreak. I mean, the, the thing for me about the story was the she was expecting to run off with this. What you say the, his kiss tasted of salt and honey? And there's this sort of image of just this, like it's it's just great. It's wonderful. It's love, and then next day she's sort mm. of captured and, and yes. killed and that's the execution thing which is the, yes, why is she a... captured and killed is that part of the, the riddle
0: well it's maybe we he is somebody she shouldn't be with oh I see and, okay, and so, so, so it's I, it, um, I, I, we don't know exactly why so basically there are um, prehistoric barrows existed in the landscape when the first Germanic migrants who would become the English landed on the east coast of England of <laughs> then Britain and uh, and they had their own tradition of building burial mounds for their dead, as we know from the Sutton Hoo ship burial, uh, which is the kind of last God. vestiges of that pagan cultural pre-Christian culture. And um, and so uh, what they seem to have done, and I'm, I'm here, I'm quoting a, a really interesting book called *Deviant Burial Practices in Anglo-Saxon England* by a man mm. called Andrew Reynolds. Very he beautiful. he observed that. Um, it seems that in the early, in the pre-Christian period, these Germanic tribes built their own shrines on the existing burial mounds that they found here, shrines to Woden and and the gods that they worshipped, so the the Anglo-Saxon equivalent of Odin and, um, but then as they were converted to Christianity, these um, monuments on the landscape, whether they were built by their own ancestors or they were prehistoric uh, came to take on a kind of malevolent significance or a kind of uh, a threatening significance and they are often found on the, the boundaries of, of um, Anglo-Saxon territories so kind of way out away from the heart of the settlement and um, and from the kind of Christian period onwards or the conversion onwards they start being used as execution cemeteries um, and he Andrew Reynolds sort of makes this observation and he, he gathers various examples of, um, of burials of which have the hallmarks of of violent death so uh, they're prone as in the the people are lying on their on their um, fronts Uh, and perhaps their hands are crossed in front of them which is indicative of them having been tied Um, there also might be some evidence of injury to the back of the neck Um, and he, he even posits kind of cadaveric spasm, which is something that the corpse does after death in extreme tension. Um, like, he, like
3: pain and horror. That's yes. The That's the thing, it um, comes really, through. You, I mean, you can actually approve me. Thank
0: the you. That was, it? It's kind of it's, it's fascinating and horrible. You know, it's one yeah. of those things where you, you think you're watching a film and then you remember that it's, well, it that these like were real horror. lives. It felt
3: like a, it was a horror story It's just trapped. After death, in this mm. ancient tomb with all these other bones, yeah, so
0: that's what um, stuck
3: in there forever, or you know, just gnawing away. Well, it's horrifying. Finger.
0: So when, um, so basically, I mean, he also finds uh, examples of of corpses that have been buried with quern stones or millstones on them, holding them down as if it's a kind of fear of the dead. Um, sort of stop them from walking, kind they of. They um, really didn't like yeah. these people. They've yeah, done something obviously really very wrong. They
3: just didn't want them But we don't know why. You know,
0: he gives examples of women buried with um, beaver tooth pendants, which may have been a sort of cunning woman. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Like a witch. Yeah. So like. perhaps they, perhaps they were witches. Perhaps they were murderers. Perhaps they were adulterers. Perhaps they were people who um, you know, had transgressed in some way. And um, well, they must have been. So. What, he, he makes that argument. Semple, who I mentioned before, Sarah Semple, she takes this argument and she adds in what we know from literature about these burial mounds. So, for instance, at the end of Beowulf, there is a, a burial mound full of treasure that is guarded by a dragon. And, of course, that's, that dragon becomes Smaug in The Lord of the Rings. Um, yes. And, and the little, this runaway slave who, who steals a cup from the hoard in Beowulf is the Hobbit. this Bilbo. Um, Bilbo. Yes. This is,
3: uh, a bil- this, is, this is too cold and draughty for a Hobbit down here. I it certainly
0: yeah. is. You know, this is no Hobbit hole. Um, this is a definitely much, a definitely more of a goblin hideout. Um, yeah, hide there's orcs and goblins here. down here. Definitely. definitely. Um, I think the orcs and goblins have gone off to explore another <laughs> bit of the cave, though. So um, we'll hear them in the a minute. The
3: orcs and goblins would be terrified of
0: this. So. <laughs> um, and she also talks about Saint Guthlac, whose whose story is in the Exeter Book, and how he he is a gripping narrative of how he goes off into the wilderness, into the fens, to show his bravado. It says, and he he finds a mound, and it's inhabited by demons, and he has he wants to make his home there, but first he has to exorcise the demons from the mound.
3: Barrow um, Knights, if we're talking Lord of the Rings. Yes, yeah, yeah.
0: and um, that's exactly it. It's that same tradition. Um, uh, she talks about various place names which have uh, combined words for kind of pagan gods or malevolent uh, creatures like elves and goblins with um, with words for mound so like, um, I'm trying to think of uh, maybe like Wodensbury, is that a place? That is a place up, um, yeah. in the North Midlands, I believe. Um, and uh, Elvis so Howe. is a, is a barrow. It could be barrow. barrow. Yeah, and Howe is a word for barrow and lal. Um and and that There's so maze the, by, hall, by
3: maze hound in here mm-hmm. is a big ma- is a big barren mound okay yeah, yeah.
0: So. so the uh, she basically puts forward, this a very convincing argument that these these uh, monuments in the landscape were associated by the late Saxon period by the Christian period with malevolent spirits that they were kind of um, in, in, in Guthlac. in fact it's somewhere where the spirits can rest otherwise they're just wandering and and, um, and so she suggests that maybe the reason it was so powerful putting an executed person's body here was that it was believed that their soul wouldn't be able to escape that it would be trapped there by these malevolent forces and tormented for the rest of time Gosh, that's a real so punishment yeah. and,
3: and that's conveyed in this, this poor woman's soul and mm-hmm. it's, she's able to get out Adored so that's um, your song it,
0: that's another amazing observation in the um, you know in in text is that uh, Grendel, who is a, a, a monster who lives out in the fens in Beowulf, he is described as a a border marcher, a, a, a march stepper, he's called. So literally one who walks the borderlands. So he can the, the idea of becoming being able to go into the heart of the community that's something you can't do if you're one of these spirits. But uh, and likewise in um, in The Wife's Lament, the poem from the Exeter book, she talks about ucht care, like cares at dawn. Ucht means dawn. Um, and so I took these two ideas that somehow the dawn as being like, this like a borderland between night and day, and Grendel only being able to walk the borderlands of civilization, that these spirits somehow, they inhabit these liminal points in, in time and space. Um, and that's why she's able to step out of the barrow at dawn and recall her fate. And then sink back into it as the sun rises.
3: Yeah, gosh, it's so powerful. Your Grendel story was also really, really brilliant because it sort of revealed at the end who, who he is, this <laughs> person. I am mean, not too many spoilers here, really, but um, I thought that was great because we talked about Beowulf earlier. But to actually, you've obviously got sympathy for the devil. In, mm, well, yeah, it? I think in, Milton
0: did too in Paradise Lost. I think, I think every writer who's ever written about the devil finds it fascinating and enthralling and a deeply sympathetic character. Yeah, Gregor um, comes across
3: really well. And he opens the doors as a whole. So I'm like, yeah. I just want to get in there and chat to nice people and sit <laughs> by the fire and, eat and be under the benevolent gaze of this wonderfully wise lord and actually... Mm-hmm. Doesn't work out
0: I started feeling like a sort of Grendel that I kept going <laughs> and purving on the wilderness, like he perves on the hall. You know, he goes and he stands, he stands there hearing the song. And in in Beowulf, I mean, not in my story. You know, he can hear the the song and the revelry of coming from the hall, and he he wants in and he wants to be part of it, but he can't be because he's he's biologically incapable. Yeah. He's Cain's kin. He can't be part of the community. And I found myself, you know, in the Avalon marshes, watching the Starling murmurations, standing on this man-made path, in this beautiful wilderness, and unable to step into it, unable to be a moorhen. You know, I just it's it's that kind of longing you get, I think, when you go out into these wild places and you have to have all this equipment. I mean, look at us now. It's pathetic. You know, we can't (laughs) um, there's some sabre-toothed tiger would have just curled up in here and not needed any a head torch and a fluffy microphone um, so, you're so. Feeling you you
3: need to get a So it's that it's that grendel like
0: and and maybe that impulse to destroy that grendel has when he enters the hall is part of our sense of dislocation and, and removal from the wilderness but I, and then I think by the same token, actually I argued myself round in the end because these poems Yes I was getting a bit worried. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we are you know, I, I do feel as though these, these poems and these artifacts I, I look at a whales bone a carved whales bone casket and I look it's Satan who ship variable treasures and how they interact with the wilderness, where they're buried, the way that they evoke it imaginatively and, and through words and pictures, they actually show the kind of the um, the immense antiquity of our imaginative connection to the wilderness and our need to use it to articulate what it feels like to be alive and what it feels like to be human. And that was an argument in itself for our absolute oneness, in fact. For all we have to take rucksacks and tents and boots, um, in some ways these poems are a casting off of all of those trappings and a, and a realisation that we are, are very much um, united with this world.
3: I think what you do is very profound. But what but what you do is you're talk, you're showing how it's clear that they had that connection which perhaps mm. isn't isn't well you know it's not well covered mm. and, and so people did appreciate bird song or perhaps they were irritated
5: by it. Yes, by I mean
0: something that comes across amazingly in the Welsh poem Clave which I um is is the, the way that this man with leprosy he's been exiled to the forest he hears the call of the cuckoo, and whereas in the old English poems, they often directly mirror the emotions of the narrator, so if the narrator is stormy in his mind or her mind, then the weather is stormy. Uh, this is a, a point of contrast. The, the cuckoo is a herald of spring, and it's a herald of joy, and, and all for of us, the good things yeah. of summer, for, and, and was in, the, in okay, this, in this was early right. medieval period as well. Um, and you see that all over the place in literature. But the, the man with leprosy is standing there listening to the cuckoo and feeling, ah, I can hear the cuckoo, but I feel no joy. And I should be. And tonight my clothes are growing loose and I will be ill. And it's, it's so beautiful how that contrast is used in a different way from how it's done in the old English poetry, which is still related to it, but, but kind of uh, coming from a slightly different place.
3: I didn't feel morally beaten over the head by each story. There were so many medieval tales. There's a sort of strong moral message. Mm-hmm. It was much more expressive of is that kind of representative of that sort of
0: Yeah, history? I think that's one of the reasons they're so fun, is that I mean the, the seafarer is one of these elegies and it does it does culminate in a in a kind of Christian um Sort of, we we need to. He's he's mourning the loss of former joys in in the mead hall and. With yes, his community and he's and just and
3: forever, floating um, in the hope of finding the mead yeah, hall again.
0: and he, the the poem does conclude with saying, "But if I can put my faith in God, then I know there will be eternal joys one day, and I will I will. This life is transient, and it's like how how Bede says, you know, our, we're like um, our lives are like a sparrow flying in through one window in the hall. Mm. And through that momentary sort of blaze of of light, and out back into the darkness, um, it's. I well, think it's done.
3: You did. He's, you know, he's
0: a brilliant man. The whale story about the um about the the whale that poses an island, and then um, lures sailors to make camp and mm. and build their fires. And then as soon as it feels the heat of the fire on its skin, it drags them to the abyss. You know, it says, and so too the devil will pose as a safe reef until you make your camp and then he will drag you to hell yeah, that's, um noted. Yeah. yeah, I mean with that again you know, I feel as though we can take that and we can all imagine, it. we can all think of situations where we thought we were safe and we thought we were at home and then suddenly the, the ground shifts beneath our feet and, and we need to you know, it's, whether it's sort of social situations in your first week at university or something or <laughs> if it's, a, it's even like a psychological situation, I think we can take these things and see it as the, the, the ongoing secular of uh, potency of some of these ideas.
3: I liked the whale story where the whale, you talk, it's really, I was sort of like, who, who are we here? Oh we're a whale beached, rotting on a beach and being sort of dismembered and then we become the, oh the whale, the narrator, becomes part of the ivory that. Uh, mm-hmm. that is part of the cast yeah, it's the that Frank's tells cast. the story of yeah. that awful well, poor woman yeah. ending up in the bowery. <laughs> Uh, I like that 's quite, but yeah,
2: cleverly done yeah I mean that casket's is to...
0: amazing because it's it 's the frank's casket, which' is in the british museum room forty one it 's got all sorts of scenes from classical biblical, and Germanic myth on it, or legend, um, but it 's got a runic inscription that says the king of terror was sad when he swam up on the shingle whale 's bone, which is it's kind of the, the, it is itself made of whale 's bone, it refers to itself, but it also refers to the emotions of the whale. Washing up on the beach, the king of terror was sad when he, when he swam up on the shingle, mm. um, which is is, is just another example of that real emotional acuity that we've seen throughout these uh, these poems and artworks i I was interested in in just sort of setting out um, how early medieval people might have understood caves and how they got here. Um, there's a really brilliant bit in um in beads on the nature of things. It's this, he, he wrote this text to kind of explain. Uh, he's such a polymath uh, to explain the, the world and its its phenomena, and um, and he says that the the earth has sponge like innards that um, and he, he in that way in that use of the word innards um, we kind of he's tapping into this idea of man as microcosm that our bodies are kind of reflected by the world and vice versa. Um, and this was kind of rooted in, in ultimately classical ideas about how, how the body and how, how the universe worked, that, that, the co- that the firmament, so everything that constituted what we describe as the world and its atmosphere, um, was made up of jumbling elements. Uh, and and uh, those were reflected by the body's humours and governed, and those humours were governed by those elements. And so just as the earth was kind of jumbling and trying to sort itself out, so too our bodies were constantly doing that. And, um, and so he says, you know, the, the Earth has sponge-like innards that are formed when wind um, gets trapped underground and labouring to escape shapes, shakes open gaps. And it says this also <laughs> causes earthquakes when when it so. You basically I mean the, the upshot of, of it really is that um, that earthquakes are caused by kind of earth farts. Earth farts, yeah. 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 And the other, I think, one of the Um, things that I find really interesting as well is is the question of the kind of uh, places like Tartarus and Erebus, these deep, deep places within the earth which were understood to be the hell, you know, basically hell or or kind of the realm of hell Um, and Isidore of Seville uh, who writes a book called The Etymologies and he's a it's so a very early medieval, late antique writer. And it's, it's a big encyclopedia of, of everything. And he gives these kind of fictive etymologies for loads of different words or word origins. Um, and he says that, uh, that Tartarus is a place where, of, of absolute cold, absolute stillness, absolute numbness. And he says, indeed, there, and then he quotes Matthew's Gospel, there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, and so you get this sense, although it's a physical place, it's also hell.
3: So could people experience these? People did experience these by slipping from one realm to
4: another. Well,
0: yes, yeah, there are certainly. I feel like um, we've done that today. <laughs> <laughs> we have. Um, I mean, the dreams are one way in which you access them, and you get that in in Vincent Trichet's dream, which I was talking about before, where he, he is he sort of goes down into hell, and he, he then see, he goes on this great journey through these sort of levels of of um, or different realms of hell, and uh, when he wakes up, he enters a monastery. And, uh, and Bede describes how he, he goes to Melrose, that um, and uh, and he stands in in the river. I think it's Melrose. It's the River Tweed that he stands in, and the, uh, every day, no matter how cold it is, and sometimes the ice is is running in shards past his body, and he has to break you know, break the ice to get into the river. And the monks, the other monks, say, "How do you do it?" And he says, "I have seen colder. <laughs> I have seen harsher." Yeah. Um, but that's, uh, yeah, the, the, I mean, by the later Middle Ages, by the 12th century, you get stories of kind of, uh, in Gerald of Wales, of of a priest called Elidir coming to Gerald of Wales when he's doing his journey round, round Wales. And he says, oh, when I was a boy, I, I hid in a, under a riverbank from my schoolmaster and suddenly found myself in this twilight kingdom where there were just little people with horses the size of greyhounds and they ate milk pudding coloured with saffron. And I played the king's son with a golden ball and when I left I could take the ball home and they told me never to tell anyone but then my mother insisted on finding out where the ball had come from you know it's, 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 yeah. and then of course the, he tells his mother and the fairies come and get him um, or come and take the ball away he's never allowed back into this fairy realm and that idea of the, the other world being just just to kind of tip, tip the wrong yep. direction oh, away yeah, under yeah, yeah. through, through riverbanks through hollow hills thin okay, places thin places yeah. Places, yeah. Mm. yeah.
3: So do, you, you went talking of thin places and these wonderful you, you traveled a lot for your work mm-hmm. and is there a particular place that was when you were here
5: under, under the mid-lips yeah there, I have to say you're, you're I around. think
0: um, here is is wildly fun that's how I feel about it but the uh, the prehistoric barrow at Stony Littleton that felt like a thin place mm. that was amazing and uh, and going right to the back of the passage tomb with your spine pressed against the stone and looking back towards the winter sun I mean where you know, in the, in this tomb where so many people had, had their remains had been buried for hundreds of years, I mean thousands of years. You yeah. can't really feel entirely of this world.
3: Just make sure you get out before. Yes! The, before it. Um, there's voices from the depths. Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, we heard you singing down
2: yeah.
5: yeah, there.
4: It sounded really
3: cool, but also slightly
4: terrifying. Um, slightly what? Terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it's, <quite>
2: terrifying.
5: <laughs> it's melancholic. Oh, legit. <laughs> <laughs> no way. was it like down there? Alex small. kept trying
2: to get into really small bits and then looking like a spider. Like yeah, he didn't. There was this kind of like. pine spider. Um, yeah. And he just like I looked up and he was like above me. There were a lot of legs. There's <laughs> a lot of legs. He
1: just like gets spread
2: his legs out and like, just like kind yeah. He like, so, was always climbing
4: yes. the harder way. Yeah, it was away. a lot more interesting.
0: And why got stuck?
1: I got stuck. Sad you can come with us. Like why
0: was it more interesting? What made
1: it more interesting? I don't know. It was just more kind of fighting. I don't know, it was... close to death. Yeah, exactly.
0: Were there lots of, erm,
1: static Yeah. How do we know that's not a person?
0: Perfect.
3: What an appropriate way to finish. A <laughs> magical Elle duet.
0: Yes.
1: Um, um, what is the German
0: word? Euler.
3: Amy, thank you so much for taking me down into the, into the bowels of the earth and telling your amazing tales.
0: Thank you so much for joining me. Very brave of you. I know there was some apprehension. Uh, on the Yeah, it's not a
3: natural cable, <laughs> but I, I, I've overcome my fears and I've learnt a lot. Life is a
2: highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Mick Crispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
5: Want
3: to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddleboards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! And so to the hooting of owls, I made my way back home in the fog from that amazing adventure in the underworld of the Mendips with Amy Jeffs. And I'm massively grateful to Amy, not just for... Her real, her really fascinating insight into that kind of medieval view of nature in the countryside, but also helping me overcome my fear of caving, uh, helping overcome many of my fears. In the studio <laughs> today are uh, Jack and Hannah, who help, who without whom this podcast wouldn't exist. Um, hello, chaps. Hello. Have Have you ever been caving? Do you have fear of caving? Two questions in one.
2: Huge fear of caving. Yeah. Massive. I find the idea of wanting to do that completely baffling. I recently heard that for every 10 minutes you go into a cave, if something happens to you, it's like an hour out. Really? Yes. Oh, uh,
3: yeah, that's what um, Daniel was, was hinting at, which we didn't catch, catch on the recording, but he said it's, yes, it's hard getting out if you get... Uh, on that note, I should say a huge thank you to Daniel Matthews from the Mendip Caving Group, without whom it would have been impossible to do that trip but yeah it's it's um it was i actually quite enjoyed it
2: you can tell that you enjoyed it
3: i did get a lot out of it and i didn't feel afraid because dan well amy was so cool and without any sort of worries at all and the three her three sort of um her three acolytes were really bold and just went off but daniel was so dan was so relaxed and encouraging and supportive so you know massive massive thanks but so have you been caving Hannah?
2: no i would never
3: no never no. ever really what about you jack been many a time have you yeah dry and wet caves. oh my goodness we should i
1: should have sent you instead oh uh, well, i mean i'm glad i didn't um, but... I'm, I'm i'm very pers- i'm very ferret like which <laughs> i think it, i've always uh, thought so yeah, yeah it's quite so i'm i don't worry about getting stuck and I'm also like, if people have found these roots, no one's got stuck because otherwise they wouldn't go down them, so there's like I they're have tight though, some of them are quite they're tight, tight. Yeah. but then I'm also like,
3: you're slim as a weasel
1: though, so right yeah, favorite weasel ferret. yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I think there is a part of me that gets nervous, and my mum's claustrophobic, which I think naturally there's a bit that's come down to me because of mm. that, but I've done it quite a few times. And I always think if you I've always gone with, obviously there's someone that knows the, knows the caves and knows where they're going. Uh, so if they've done that before, they know that that route's fine. So uh, I just know that in, in my head, I know that that's fine. So the likelihood of anything going wrong or getting stuck is very slim. Uh, even at times I feel like I'm going to get stuck.
3: Yeah. I don't, well, I admire your courage and sort of general relaxed attitude towards being stuck deep underground with these billions of tons of rock above you and below you and around you.
1: Yeah, but you don't know how much there is around you. Well, I do. I've been calculating it. <laughs> <doubt>. Exactly. <laughs> you could just be a meter under the ground for, you know, it, it's, I just don't think about it.
3: I recently went down into Big Pit, which is a, a museum of... I mean, it's a coal mine mm. in... Uh, Blind Avon in the South Wales cog fields. Not you... fit for me. <laughs> it's very <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Oh, Jack is no. at least a good head taller than I am. So you've been there, Hannah, I'm sure have you? No, is, I haven't. It... Weirdly, yeah. Really? You'd think it
2: would be at the stuff of school trips, but um, it's really good. Yeah, it never happened for us. Really good. It's uh,
3: they turn. Anyway, you go deep underground and you go along these tunnels with some of the old miners who are amazing. But at one point, they turn off the lights and the lamps. You've got these headlamps. And it's utterly pitch black, mm. and you realise that people used to work with the pitch in pitch black because the children, children, children
1: used to work down there on their own, yeah,
3: to feeling their way around or just with a little candle—terrifying. Uh, mm. So I have total admiration for people. Well, Admiration—it's beyond admiration. It's just shock and mm. horror that people could uh, oh, do it. Do it for joy these days. Um, <laughs> But that experience taught me that there's a lot to be there's a lot to be discovered down underground. What did you think of Amy's song down in the depths?
2: Amazing! Yeah. I had like proper goosebumps. Yeah. The quality of that sound down there is so beautiful. It's amazing.
3: Well, yeah. I, I think there's something to do with the recordist, but <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, she's amazing. She's got a beautiful voice. Not so. Um, she wrote that song herself. And it does. If you get a chance to read her book, which I have done myself, uh, as you can tell, that first chapter is just so haunting, and and she captured that in the the, the sad lament. So, yeah, multi talented, too talented, Amy. Hmm. <laughs> uh, we we're, we're all left. I'm left feeling a little bit sort of uh, oh, I need to add strings to my bow. <laughs> um, so you can hear more of Amy on the podcast. We did an earlier I did an earlier episode with her. Episode 128, where we went to the Avalon Marshes, again in Somerset, to talk about her first book, which is Storyland. Again, retelling tales of ancient Britain. And that's all about the origins, the founding of Britain. And that's also great. Plus, it was above ground and we heard lots of birds and other lovely natural sounds. And Amy's latest book is called Wild Tales from Early Medieval Britain. as published by Hachette. So look out for that. Great read. Talking of writers, um, I, the sad news came through this week that great countryside writer, nature writer, writer about people, Ronald Blythe has died. And I'm a big fan of R- Ronald's work. And his famous book was called Aikenfield, uh, where he profiled a village in Suffolk. An amazing book. Sort of insight into sort of 1950s farming, uh, farmed countryside, and it sort of profiles of all the individual characters of a village at a time of change when motorization and mechanization is coming in, and the big city is drawing people away from the countryside. Utterly brilliant book, uh, if you want to understand the sort of foundations of modern British countryside, where we got to, well, how, how we've reached here. And he, he's a lifelong uh, observer of the countryside. And his latest book, which we gave away a couple of weeks ago from the podcast Library, is called Next to Nature. And it's a sort of gathering of many of his sort of best, best bits of, of his writing. And we're giving away another copy this week. Regular listeners will know that we ever, for, for the best email or the best uh, missive we get each week, we like to send out a little prize of a book. And so we've got another copy of Next to Nature. And we do have a very worthy recipient, I think, uh, who'd like to delve into the podcast postbag and see what we've got.
2: So what we have here is a recording by musician David Delahaye, who was actually interviewed by Annabelle for episode 168 of the podcast. This recording is an underwater recording of some swimming seals. I actually like this recording so much that we're going to use it as a sound escape. So you can everyone can hear the full-length version of this recording in a few weeks.
3: Brilliant. Thank you, David. Really appreciate you sending that in. That's a really glorious sound sound of the week. Please follow David's example. Find us lovely sounds from the countryside. Um David has earned himself that lovely book by Ronald Blythe, which will be in the post shortly. If you'd like one of our a book from the podcast library, send us your thoughts. Send us your sounds
1: and we'll read them or we'll play them in the podcast. We got a uh, we've got a nice example of a question sent in in the, the podcast postbag. Um I think from Kiki from the other yes. week.
3: Yes, good, good point. So Kiki Kiki King, who lives in the US, uh, sent us a lovely message and you can hear that in the very first episode of this season. And she's just got back to us and she's sort of said she she says, uh, just to follow on, um, which is quite pertinent for this season where we are sort of thinking about the mindfulness of you know, the importance of walking for our health. And she says, I work as a therapist for children. And while my work is immensely rewarding, it can also fill me with a heaviness, which is why I try to prioritize walking during the day to ground myself. I very much wish that my walks could be in the countryside, but since they cannot, listening to the podcasts helps me connect to nature when I need it most. Well, that's lovely to hear. And so you know that's one of the aims of the podcast is to to give people that sort of nature when you can't get there but she she asks i wonder if other listeners have experiences of healing work done in connection with nature either personally or professionally and it's a really good question uh, really good sort of request because i'd like to we would all like to hear more tales of how i mean we know the healing of power of of nature, we know the healing power of being connected to wildlife. Just the joy of putting one foot in front of another and the rhythm of walking can be so soothing. But you know, we need sort of we'd be great to have a few more examples of how that actually practically works. So if you've got some tales, send them in. Yeah, it could well be at our letter of the week, or we could even come and walk with you and record a podcast. So get in touch. You can email me. My name is Fergus Collins, and my email address is editor at countryfile.com and that's about it for this week thank you so very much for listening i hope you enjoyed it if you have leave us likes and feedback on whichever podcast provider you use but for now from me and the team it's goodbye